This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It's always great to be saving money on that power bill, using technology wisely, and living a more sustainable life. Hey, it's just Tim Eccles here, and you guys know I'm a big fan of recycling, composting, uh, reusing, and I am down off Fulton Industrial looking at a very cool facility that has Cox Conserves as one of their major investors, uh, a group called Nexus, and I'm here with Jeff Gold, and Jeff, we just had a chance to take a tour of your facility, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm quite impressed. Uh, when you tell people what you do here, how do you describe it? Well, we basically are taking plastic that would otherwise end up in a landfill, and we're repurposing that plastic into a wax and an oil liquid product that's then made into brand new plastics. So we're basically completing the circle as far as a circular economy goes, and we're taking a waste product and giving it a second life. Jeff, as I think about Cox Conserves and Cox Enterprises, a company I'm a big fan of our show uh, actually is created at a Cox Media facility formerly owned by Cox Enterprises. I, I think about all the things they've done with solar, with anaerobic digestion. As I think about what Cox Enterprises has done with their electric car investment, with the composting they do at their own corporate headquarters, with their interest in anaerobic digestion that they've used at their auctions where they've taken dirty, oily water and essentially uh, made it as pure as the water coming out of your as your tap. Why do you think a company like Cox Enterprises and their leadership's interested in this project that you're doing? Simple. One word. It's called sustainability. Cox is extremely committed to a sustainable future and to their overriding philosophy and mission of leaving the world in a better place than when they, when they arrive. So that is a, a perfect fit for them in terms of recycling, and it supports all of their other efforts in alternative energy and sustainable energy. You know, today, as I went through your plant, I saw plastic trash bags. I saw poultry plastic. I saw styrofoam. I saw cardboard. I saw cups. Uh, There's a lot of plastics out there. And I think when plastics came along, we thought, you know, that, you know, we had changed the world. And I, I think we did. But now people are taking a second look. Are we doing the best thing for the planet, for sustainability with our plastics? That's a very, very good question and one that's not a simple one. It's a uh, an issue of plastic has allowed us to enjoy a very high standard of living and a very good lifestyle and, and really supports a lot of what we have as a society today. However, managing that material as a waste after we're done using it is the crux of the issue here. So uh, as we spoke about on our tour, Tim, it's it's a matter of responsible uh, management and responsible handling once we've used that plastic. You know, a, a grocery a plastic grocery bag has a lifespan of about 15 to 20 minutes. You fill it up with your groceries at the store, you put it in your car, bring it home, empty it, done. 
usually 15 to 20 minutes. So what do you do with that bag afterwards? Well, you know, most people throw them out and, you know, the recycling facilities don't want the plastic film because it gums up their machinery. But we've got to get better at having a solution to handle that material. And Nexus is one of those solutions. We want that film. We love that film. And we can do something very productive with it. It's an energy resource. It's a material resource. And as I said, we're taking that material and making new plastics with it that basically has an infinite lifespan. We're recycling at a molecular level that enables us to take this plastic that that doesn't have a, a good life after use, like a grocery bag does or doesn't, and and give it a new give it a new life. I live in the sustainability space, the energy space, the environmental space, because that's what I do for a living. I regulate energy here with my colleagues in Georgia, and we think about this on a daily basis. And for the average person, though, going into a Publix or a Kroger today, getting a plastic bag, getting home, putting that stuff away, then there's a, there's a moment of decision, right? What am I going to, to do with that? And I haven't found that there's a lot of instruction that's taking place for adults in knowing, okay, what do I do with this soda bottle with this number on the bottom? What do I do with this bag? What do I do with this cardboard box from Amazon? What do I do with the bubble wrap after my grandson has stepped on it and played with it? There's just not a lot of people educating you. That's exactly right. You've hit the nail on the head there. It's education. It's getting people to understand what those little numbers in the triangles mean and how that uh, impacts them as far as how they can recycle that product, whether it be paper or cardboard or metal or aluminum cans or, or and then plastic. And, and it's confusing because there are multiple kinds of plastics and they require different management techniques to be applied. So um, here we take uh, the number twos, the fours, the fives, and the sixes. So you see those little numbers on there? Those are the numbers that we can take. But education is at the heart of this thing. And I'll give you an example. We work with Cobb County on what's called the Dow uh, and Hefty Energy Bag Program. And that is a program where they have created this specific plastic bag. It's orange in color. And it's purchased by consumers that want to have an outlet for the film plastic that they don't are not allowed to put into their recycle bins for the curb. Well, what we found with this is that people will actually have to pay, so they're invested in this, they, they pay for these bags, but yet these the recycling quality is still bad. We, we get these bags in and they'll have shoes and they'll have clothing in them. They'll have, uh, you know, a bag of potatoes in them. They'll have metal water filters in them. So even with folks that are wanting to do the right thing, we still have an issue with education, as you have said, that is critical. It's, it's, it's going to be a long-term proposition, but we've, we've got to, as a society, if we want to get a handle on plastic, Plastic pollution. We need to get a better educated population in terms of how this material can be used, used productively. Part of the problem is that there are multiple people throwing things in those receptacles at your house. You've got, you know, we have two. We have one for recyclables and one for landfill, but that's not really enough. Yeah, it's it's tough. Like I, you know, I was talking to you earlier about the difference between the U.S. and Europe. You know, we have what in in this country is called single stream recycling. So you basically throw everything in that blue bin, you put it out on the curb, and hopefully they they get 
get it recycled. In Europe, they separate the metal and the glass and the cardboard and the plastic. And it's a much more efficient system. But that came about because they don't have landfill space there. They had to do that. In the U.S., we have the, you know, I guess, abundance of land that has allowed us to be a little more careless in that regard. So if it goes to the landfill, eh, that's okay. It's not that expensive. But that's a mindset that we have to come out of because in the case of plastic, for instance, it is an incredible resource. We've spent all this time, all this money to get it out of the ground, make it into the plastic we want, get it out on the market, and now we take it and bury it. There's no other resource we would ever do that with. So it's, it's a matter of changing mindset in terms of viewing plastic as a valuable commodity and not as a waste. You know, I, I read something recently that said, you know, <laughs> people don't have a plastics problem. Plastics have a people problem because it's people that are throwing this stuff in the ocean. They're throwing it in the in the you know the, the highways and everywhere else where you see it littering around. Plastic is very beneficial and useful. It simply has to be managed properly. But even if you do manage it properly, you have to have a company like yours that is fully funded that can actually stand up an operation that can live more than a month or two or a year. And you guys have been able to do that. In our last couple of minutes. How have you survived? Well, because when we started this back in 2008, we went into it with the idea that we had to be extremely efficient. It had to be energy efficient, and that translates directly into economic efficiency. Now, we've also approached it a little differently. A lot of folks will go in and they'll they'll make a, a device or a machine or a technology that works well, and they say, great, wow, this is really cool, but they don't have the business knowledge to, to understand what it's going to take to make a sustainable business. Fortunately here, we've got a team in place that has been very good at developing the business end of this as well as the technology end of it. And that has led to us to be able to be here for a lot of years now. We've been very successful. And in addition to that, though, we've had a very, very good partner in Cox. They have been extremely uh, useful and beneficial and very understanding as far as how this goes and the time it takes to develop a new technology like this. This is this has been around a long time. No one's been able to make it real successful. Uh, we're hoping to break that mold. You take a family like the family that, that has owned Cox Enterprises that has been committed to sustainability for as long as I can remember. When I was in high school, in College Park, it was WSB who sponsored a glass recycling contest, an aluminum recycling contest for Atlanta high schools, giving a cash prize. So you go all the way back to 1977, uh, when here here Cox Enterprises is influencing little Tim Eccles, who you know was vice president of North Clayton High School. But little did they know that one day I would become the public service commissioner, right? And one day I would regulate energy. And they, through their leadership, had a little impact on me. That's important too, isn't it? It's absolutely important. And, and it reflects their long-standing support. They're, they're, this isn't a trend they're trying to jump onto. This is something they've been behind, as you just described, a long, long time. And it's reflected in, in their whole attitude towards their businesses. They're, they're not looking to get in and get out real quick. They're looking to build and develop companies that'll be here to help not only them, but the country and the world as far as sustainability goes. 
How can folks find out more about Nexus Fuels? Well, we have a website. That's probably the best way to do it is just uh, it's nexusfuels.com. We're actually uh, looking to, you know, we don't do fuels anymore. We started off and we were going to make fuels for uh, combustion and use in engines, but we've kind of shifted our focus, as I've described earlier, and now we're into it. We're calling Nexus Circular. Thanks a lot for being on Energy Matters today. Thank you, Tim. I really appreciate the opportunity. Hey, Tim Eccles in Southwest Atlanta looking at some cool technology. Stick around. We'll be right back. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. Tim Eccles, host of Energy Matters, here with Jeff Pratt of Green Power EMC. Jeff, more and more EMCs are offering solar to their members, and you're seeing it grow like crazy across rural Georgia. Tim, you're right. Co-ops in Georgia are doing a great job of deploying solar across the state. In fact, they're leaders in the country with respect to engaging customers and deploying large-scale solar to benefit all their members. Hey, contact your EMC and ask them about their solar energy policy, or just Google Green Power EMC. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AMLAW 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if, but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Hey, Tim Eccles back on Energy Matters with Bill Nussie. Bill, we just uh, heard from Jeff Gold at Nexus, and uh, you're an entrepreneur in your own right, but I know you have great admiration uh, for what they're doing over there. It's one of the most exciting projects. People have really struggled to crack the code, so to speak, on uh, converting waste plastic, and these guys have nailed it. It's, it's. It, I think the world's going to hear about them more and more in the coming years. You know, I, as I walked through the plant and saw some of the things that they were recycling, uh, you know, poultry plastic and all kinds of stuff. It's just a messy place over there. Somebody has got to do this to make this work. It's just not a tidy job. Yeah, it, it, getting plastic that you can convert and and make into these new uh, sources is hard hard enough. It's an entire business of supply chains and chemistry all wrapped up into one, and they're they're off to a great start. Well, I want to talk about your book. Uh, folks are going to have a chance to 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 get that book. Uh, it's a little bit geeky, much like our show. Tell us the name of the book and when it's going to be available. <laughs> Thank you. The book is called uh, Freeing Energy, and it's coming out December seventh. So. As we think about your work with solar, you were involved uh, at Georgia Tech. Uh, you actually have a double E degree uh, from North Carolina State, right? Yes, sir. And go and, pack, go pack. Yeah, we don't hear much about the pack on our uh, on on our show. We hear a lot about the University of Georgia. Obviously, our show comes to folks from Athens and, of course, Georgia Tech. How can you not love? Georgia Tech being a Georgia uh, official here, but you've been very involved in the evolution of solar. So let me let me ask you, is solar 
in its teen years? In is it is it in its twenties? Is it uh, is it a senior citizen now? Where is solar in terms of its maturity? I like that question. Uh, you know, I think that we are going to continue to see continuous improvements in the efficiency and lowering costs on the solar cells. But what's really exciting to me is that's really no longer the core part of the core part of the story. The story now is how do those solar cells go into panels and how do those panels fit into a large or a small project? And the cost on that latter side, putting it to use under the sun connected to your house or the grid, that is really where the innovation is going to come for the next 10 or 20 years. And we're going to see those prices plummet. You know, I went through a solar factory one time, Suniva, a a business that you were very familiar with. It came out of Georgia Tech. And uh, just to our listeners, we talk about solar a lot on our show. And, you know, if, if if you've had a chance to look at a solar panel, you see these squares and they begin as a wafer and then they're a blue wafer and then they're a, a there's a they're a cell and then they th- then they have this glass that go what what is that process bill you know it's it's one of the largest manufacturing uh, cycles in the world i think uh, last year there was something like 20 billion of those solar cells made it's uh, and you kind of forget about them because they're they're put into a panel and they just look like little squares but making those solar cells is one of the amazing achievements of science and engineering and over the last uh, gosh since 1970s the price of those systems has dropped 400 times. So it went from $80 a watt when we put them on satellites, and a lot of this is in my book, and they're now down to $0.25 a watt. So incredible economies of volume uh, that have made that price go down, and I think we're going to see those prices continue to decline. You were telling me that silver, for example, which is inlaid into the wafer, is just a really a tiny a tiny price out of the entire project. I was thinking it was more because it's kind of a rare metal, but it's really not, is it? No. When people talk about the input materials for solar and for batteries, uh, particularly things like silver or lithium comes up with batteries, and you don't have to be on the internet for more than a few minutes to see that people are concerned about price shocks and it's going to drive up the prices. There's a great report uh, that I mentioned in my book that says if the price of lithium uh, goes up like five times the price of lithium-ion batteries would only go up 1% or 2%. So the, the fact is that while these are rare materials and they're hard to get and make, um, we use so little of them. Uh, and the parts, in, for example, in solar cells that we use a lot of are aluminum and glass and uh, silicon, and those are incredibly abundant. You know, in, in looking just around where we're recording this right now, we see flat roofs, we see houses that have shingles on them. Uh, I mean, it seems like that this roofing material, that a shingle or a tile, that that could have solar cells affixed to it in some way. What's kept that technology from maturing? You know, five years ago, it didn't make economic sense. Uh, There was no one that knew how to install it or to design it. And, you know, I was back in the Internet business back in the late 1990s when no one had a website. And uh, people would pay my company a fortune to do something that you can do for free in five minutes now. And so there's a learning curve for the entire supply chain all the way, in the case of solar, to putting, you know, powering your house or your building with those solar panels. And it's just a learning thing. But today, in most cases, uh, you can actually lower your electricity bills by putting solar on your roof. And uh, when you have net metering, sometimes it can actually make it even more savings, but it's a good bet. And what I'm excited about is that the innovation is coming to 
put that solar on your roof, even beyond just the square, uh, the rectangles, is just it's just starting. So to your earlier question, we're at the infant stage of all the ways that solar is going to be powering our homes, our buildings, and our grids going forward. As you think about reliability, which is important to me as a commissioner, which is important to the utility, of course, here in Georgia, and really to businesses and anyone who wants to make sure that they can do the thing that they're, you know, that they're destined to do, whether they're serving food in a restaurant or they're a factory. Uh, is distributed generation the idea of putting solar at this building in front of us, on that restaurant, on that guy's house over there, on that office building, is is that idea going to help reliability in the future, in your opinion? Well, Tim, that's what my book's entirely about. And I have uh, several hundred pages addressing that question with 400 citations and it's uh, something I've thought a lot about, but the short answer, not surprisingly, is absolutely, with a caveat that if reliability is your goal, you need to have a battery. And today, uh, batteries like Powerwalls or Sonin, they, they are still a little bit expensive, so it might take your break-even payback period from six, seven years to 12 to 13 years, but in two or three years, those numbers will be smaller. And uh, so if you have the battery and you have the solar, uh, and you can read umpteen articles about uh, the impact in New Orleans, about Hurricane Ida, or uh, the freeze in Texas. Both of those, many of those articles uh, highlight people who had solar batteries and whose lights remained on and who were able to charge their phones and run their TVs and, and provide services for neighbors. And I think those are the uh, exceptions today. In 10 years, hopefully those are the default. You hear a lot about microgrids today. And I was recently at Cobb EMC where they had about a megawatt of solar, another megawatt battery, and then they're doing these natural gas generators. And they were saying that they needed that third type of energy to complete the microgrid. In your opinion, what what is it that's needed to make a microgrid work properly? The answer to that really depends on how important 100% uptime is to you. For example, in my house, I have solar and batteries. Uh, and there's a, if it happens that the power goes out for a long period of time and it's raining and my battery eventually drains, then I will have an outage again. In some businesses, that's more than they want to allow for. So they add a third component to their system, which is a natural gas generator typically, sometimes historically a diesel generator. And that third part uh, allows them in many cases to maintain near 100% uptime under any circumstances. And so for reliability is the number one goal. Cost doesn't matter as much. Uh, you would want to have some kind of fossil fuel system to keep it running all the time. But I want to throw in a caveat. There's an amazing amount of research that's rolling out in the next couple of years about what they call long-term storage or long-duration storage. Uh, a company called Form up in the Northeast just raised $200 million. And so we'll see a new type of battery emerge that has the properties of some of these generators and will over time reduce the need to have a combustion system to keep your grid your home up all the time or your building up all the time and it'll be all solar and batteries but that's a ways off just a couple of minutes left in the segment uh, let me ask you as you think about some of the significant eye-opening things you learned from writing this book if you had to just boil it down to one or two things what were the significant things that you you felt like wow i didn't really fully understand this until i did all these interviews and and did all this research before i started writing the book i did a couple of years over the research and traveled all over the world and there was a lot of broad assumptions dogma that i think 
bears much more scrutiny. But one of the things that I think, uh, for example, that solar will continue to go down in price. Uh, I didn't really believe it could continue going down, but I now I do since I've researched it. I'm excited about that. But another thing I learned that I would say to all of my solar advocate friends is that solar by itself um, is incomplete. You you can't power your house or your building at night unless you also have the grid, and the grid is largely powered by traditional type power plants. Uh, and batteries are just too expensive right now to take over that role 100%. And so I think probably one of my biggest surprises was the nuance of how you can apply intermittent renewables into grids and into microgrids. And I think uh, I'm encouraged that we'll crack that, but it's still a challenge today. Well, where can folks get your book and find out more? Freeingenergy.com. And, or they can send an email to bookalerts at freeingenergy.com, and uh, we'll add them to our list and let them know when it's available. Thank you for asking. And you and I uh, interact a lot on Twitter, and so my Twitter handle's at Tim Eccles, and yours is? Freeing Energy. So find us on Twitter. Find out more about Bill's uh, interviews and all of his incredible footnotes and everything that has taken to put this book together. It's great having you on Energy Matters today, Bill. Thank you very much, Tim. It's great to talk to you today. Hey, stick around. We'll be right back with another segment. You're listening to Energy Matters. I'm Tim Eccles. Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure you receive the highest quality solar energy system in the industry. They're proud to work with you before, during, and after the install, blending customer demand, system capability, and expertise to provide the best service possible. Contact them today at 770-485-7438 or creativesolarusa.com. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com, ev-hybrid.com. Reducing pollution from the transportation industry is an important goal, and few alternative vehicle fuels offer the distinct advantages of compressed natural gas. I myself drive an F-150 C&G pickup. Marlin Compression, part of Marlin Gas Services, is helping to usher in this clean energy future to the Port of Savannah, too. Not only is Marlin Compression a trusted provider of CNG for fleet fueling, they are also working with Port Fueling Center on a state-of-the-art CNG truck fueling facility. Learn more about the distinct economic and environmental advantages of using natural gas for trucking fleets of all sizes and explore all of Marlin services by visiting marlincompression.com. That's marlincompression.com. Calculate your savings today. Hey, Tim Eccles back on Energy Matters. On the road in Charleston, one of my favorite towns at Ingevity. Cool place. And I'm with Dr. Peter Barber and Eric Verson. And we are standing beside my F-150 
ANG truck. And Dr. Barber, let me start with you. First of all, what's your PhD in? Chemistry. Ah, oh, that sounds really, really difficult. But you guys do a lot here with chemicals. You have all, always, and a lot of folks would not even be aware of the impact that your company has had on transportation in particular, right? Yeah, that's correct. Our activated carbon is on the majority of all vehicles out on the road today in North America, if not in the world. And this activated carbon, Eric, is actually in the the 900 PSI tank on the truck, and it is, in fact, what allows this truck to be fueled with a lower PSI device, saving uh, about a million dollars, uh, and allowing us to be able to use RNG and the attributes from RNG to help a company with their sustainability goals. Yeah, that's correct. And the carbon itself is manufactured from sawdust. So you get a true nice uh, full model showing the sustainability where you've got the product in there is sustainably produced from a sustainable raw material. And it's allowing you to reduce your carbon footprint for your vehicle while driving on renewable natural gas. Yeah, so people live their life, they take their kids to school, they pay for their house, they go to their jobs, and they have no idea just how sustainable this product is making transportation, whether it's natural gas or whether it's gasoline. Let me ask you, Dr. Barber, about the technology here on the truck that I'm driving, because I'm taking the truck all around the state, and I'm trying to help people understand that natural gas, particularly renewable natural gas, uh, has incredible environmental attributes. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, even if you look at just fossil natural gas, that's a 20% reduction in greenhouse gas uh, emissions. You put in the renewable side of it, whether it be from a landfill or dairy farm, swine farm, poultry farms, you name it, uh, you get anywhere between 80 to 150% greenhouse gas reductions and can truly say that you are driving a carbon net zero vehicle. Eric, ANG, it sounds like you're saying absorb natural gas, but it's adsorb. What's the difference between absorbing and adsorbing? Well, adsorbing is is a weak uh, chemical reaction that goes on where we're actually the pores within the activated carbon are condensing the natural gas into a liquid. That allows us to densify and store more gas than, say, just an empty cylinder at 900 PSI. And so that's really where the technology and the chemistry come together. And so that's where adsorption is different, where absorption is more of just like a sponge soaking this up. This is more of like a a reaction going on. We're actually changing states going from gas to a liquid. Dr. Barber, uh, as we went through your various plants here, uh, here in North Charleston, I was really surprised to see in a single gasoline fueling event how much vapor would escape if it weren't for your carbon. I mean, this was several ounces. And if you multiply that just in Georgia time, the number of gas vehicles we have, which is about 6 million vehicles. I mean, that's a lot just in Georgia. I mean, this carbon that you guys manufacture and use in all these vehicles, not just here in America, but around the world, it really is doing great things for the atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why we've been around uh, this industry for 30 plus years, developing this activated carbon for the automotive industry, first as an evaporative emission capturer, and and now today, as you see, with the absorbed natural gas technology, and 
we have a lot of IP behind it uh, and a lot of smart people here, much smarter than my, myself, that uh, continues that tradition for longevity. You know, there's so much talk about carbon, and it's all, it seems like carbon, the word carbon, is just demonized out in our culture. But in this case, Eric, this is a good carbon. Yeah, it's uh, carbon can carry many different meanings, right? And even so, like today, you buy stuff that's organically produced, which in a sense is kind of, if you go back to organic chemistry, that means it's carbon. So uh, carbon gets kind of a negative moniker because it's tied to fossil fuels, uh, you know, uh, and carbon carbon dioxide. But there are materials like activated carbon that are using to purify protect and enhance the environment, which is a motto of Ingevities. And really, activated carbon not only is used to prevent hydrocarbon vapor from entering the atmosphere from your fuel tank, but it also helps clean the water that you drink. It helps uh, protect people with gas masks. Uh, it helps uh, you know, manu- produce a lot of the, the uh, items like juices and wines and other drinks that we we consume today so activated carbon is actually something that really we all touch in every day when we consume different products or so it's 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 truly a great product and and it's not to be confused with the carbon uh that we talk about with like co2 or methane uh you know other harmful uh, you know gases it's a little different dr barber the fact that you're using sawdust you know, you think about waste, waste products coming out of you know, something. I mean, uh, you know, obviously, you're, if you're making furniture or you're making pallets or joists for, for a house, so that sawdust that's produced by the cutting actually is used by your company to create this carbon that's going in all of these cars, this actually keeping gasoline vapors from going into the atmosphere. How cool is that? Yeah, it's pretty... When you think about it, it's, it's, it's kind of enjoying to know that we're able to do that. We're able to take a lot of what would be perceived waste and, and turn it into something that's as useful as it is to the environment. Um, and, and, you know, we, we've sort of built on that with, with our ANG technology and, and why we wrap our hands and, and arms around the renewable natural gas um, sciences because it, you know, we're already doing it and, and it's a great thing for the environment to truly get CO2 out of the atmosphere and, and um, have a future. Eric, a lot of people are confused about natural gas these days. I hear cities talk about not allowing people to hook up to natural gas anymore and this kind of thing. We've kind of resisted that in Georgia. We've pushed back against that. We believe that natural gas still has a very important role to play. But on my truck, it says refill me with renewable natural gas. What exactly is renewable natural gas? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And and renewable natural gas or RNG is some uh, is known in the in the marketplace is methane that is uh, biogas that's captured from uh, different processes such as landfills, wastewater treatment facilities, dairy and swine farms um, that would naturally would go into the atmosphere and be much more harmful if it was not captured cleaned up injected into the pipeline and displacing fossil fuels whether it may be natural gas or even gasoline in the case of ang 
we're actually using renewable natural gas to displace gasoline and so we are getting to that net zero or carbon neutrality because we are preventing that methane coming from those production processes that go into the atmosphere and are much more harmful than reusing it as a as a fuel for a vehicle or a fuel for your house even dr barber is it it sounds cruel to say that we should destroy methane but essentially, that is the best thing that can happen to methane, right? Yeah, is to use it. And not only to use it for, uh, whether it be for your house or, or for heating and cooling, but as a transportation fuel, um, it's still one of the most abundant things out there. And, and there are a lot of processes that make that, uh, that compound, that molecule, no matter what. Uh, being able to capture that and harness that as a transportation fuel will have the greatest impact on really getting whatever energy or climate change plans that want to happen, happen. Eric, you worked over in the research building that we were that we were just in, and I noticed as we were crossing the street that there were trucks full of wood pellets, or not pellets, but wood chips that were coming in to this plant that's across the street from your building. And were those limbs and treetops and small thinnings not chipped up? Were they left in a field somewhere for one year, two year, five years? Eventually, they become methane, right? Yeah, they're gonna they're made from carbon, right? So they're gonna give off some kind of carbon molecule, and whether it's methane or other carbon molecules, they're gonna be detrimental as a greenhouse gas. Em- uh, and uh, so, yeah, using those, using the materials that we have that are waste and turning something that's a waste into something that's a useful product, such as a fuel, we're essentially creating an ecosystem where we're regenerating that and really moving. It's going to help us move closer to that carbon neutrality where we have a, a cycle system where we're reusing waste and turning it into fuel or any other any other products like recycling that allow us to uh, you know minimize the amount of pollution that we create on on the earth dr barber just in the last 30 seconds here how can folks find out more about ang and ingevity yeah sure uh well for one they can they can see us on the clean energy tour with you uh, on the three stops that we have for that uh but of course we're uh, we're on the internet uh www.ingevity.com. Great. Well, thank you very much, Doctor, for being on the show today. Our pleasure. Thank you for having us. And Eric, thank you for uh, helping me understand this, this complicated technology that makes our life better every day. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having us on the show today. Hey, it's Tim Eccles coming to you from Charleston. Stick around. One more segment. You're listening to Energy Matters. Hey, Tim Eccles here, host of Energy Matters. Solar's growing like crazy in Georgia, and I certainly say buyer beware. It's great to have companies like Creative Solar USA on the job. Russ, why do folks need to reach out to you? Tim, we're going on to our 14th year, and we have the best staff and most experienced installers in the state to get the job done right. You can find out more at creativesolarusa.com or call 770-485-7438. That's creativesolarusa.com. 
The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to GemCarService.com. That's G-E-M, CarService.com. This segment of Energy Matters is sponsored by Hall Booth Smith. This law firm works with over 88 Fortune 500 companies, and they have offices from Brunswick to Athens, Tifton to Columbus, and of course, Atlanta. We'd like to thank Hall Booth Smith for the great work they do with school boards, hospitals, cities, and counties all over our state. See more at hallboothsmith.com. Hey, Tim Eccles back on Energy Matters with my friend Costco Jones here. Costco, we work together on, on some projects. you got a lot cooking. Welcome to Energy Matters. Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me. Costco, we were talking before the broadcast today about the HERS score, and we've had Christopher Matos Rogers on our show before, uh, basically being able to find out how well a house is insulated or how much how much of a burden that house is going to be. You do a lot in this area of energy burden. What's the nexus between the HERS score and energy burden and folks being able to pay the other bills that they have? Well, the nexus is the the HERS score. uh, Well, I'm a fan of G.I. Joe. Knowing is half the battle, right? So with the HERS score, you're going to have a projection of what your energy bill is going to be for the year. Uh, it's a space forward in the MLS. I, I believe that it's something that should be uh, required anytime a home is bought or sold. I'm pushing to get that ordinance done in Atlanta. I'm going to be uh, releasing some materials on my LinkedIn page here soon, um, just kind of highlighting those points. And then I'm also uh, highlighting the point that with the clean energy goal of 2035, how are we going to get to it if we haven't quantified the energy usage in the housing stock, which is exactly what the HERS score is for. It's already a national standard. We're not reinventing the wheel, and it could put people to work. It's a huge workforce development opportunity. Um, based on my numbers, uh, if we have, uh, if we start in, let's say, the zip codes of 30310 and 30315, which are two of the most energy burdened zip codes, uh, there's roughly 30,000 houses to do. Uh, at about $850 per HERS rating, that could start that could start a company with those houses getting done, and um, you could start those people out at about $81,000 a year, which is a livable wage here in Atlanta. Uh, we could get that money from a similar model that the uh, Portland Clean Energy Fund uses, whereas it's a, a, a surcharge on every business license for companies that make over a billion dollars a year. We have 18 Fortune 500 companies in Atlanta, so we don't even have to do a 1% surcharge. We could do less than a percent and still get the money that we need. Costco, I, I went to, to the Verge conference uh, in Santa Cruz, California, some years ago, I heard about this idea called Pay As You Save that essentially allowed for people to get about $8,000 worth of upgrades on their home without them having to put their credit on the line, without them having to be, you know, have, have, have some lien against their house. And it is being rolled out now by Georgia Power. It took me a while to get it in there. Uh, it's being rolled out. And what we are discovering, and we are working in both of these zip codes that you're that you're talking about but what we're finding out is the the threshold that we created for this program meaning that we wanted a person to realize a 10% savings 
instantly. Um, that that some of the houses are small. They have smaller bills. Uh, some of them don't even have, have air condition, and it it's it has been harder to 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 realize a ten percent savings on a tiny house. So I don't. I, I'm looking at this and going, wait a second. Do we need to maybe change this number to eight percent or seven percent? But that's one of the things that's keeping this program from from taking off. Well, in scenarios like that, I, I believe that you need to have a decision-making tool for uh, homes that are just stranded assets, correct? Sometimes when you get into these tiny, older homes, the type of uh, solutions that you need uh, and the expenditures that you would take for those are, are not really worth it. It's, it's almost like when a car is totaled and an insurance company just pays you for the car because it's not worth fixing it based on the value. I think the same scenario happens with homes and uh, we, we get stuck trying to put lipsticks on pigs with, uh, these, uh, with these programs sometimes where we just need to go ahead and uh, either put more money into the program so that they can properly uh, fix up the home or just say that, hey, this house is a complete loss and we need to uh, incentivize you to go ahead and start fresh um, and, get a, and get a newer home that's more efficient. Well, how can folks find out more about, uh, about the organizations you work with and this concept if they want to get involved with a nonprofit to promote this? Uh, you can definitely go to the Harambe House uh, website. Uh, as well as the Eco Action uh, website, my, my website as well, uh, jonesustainable.com for Jones Sustainable Solutions. So jonesustainable.com for Jones Sustainable Solutions. Yes, that's my company, Jones Sustainable Solutions Group. Um, again, I'm also on the board of directors for Eco Action as well as the Harambe House. Well, thank you for your leadership, for, for pushing folks in this area, for looking for solutions. I appreciate all the good work that you're doing. Thank you for having me, Tim, and I look forward to talking to you again. This is Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Uh, Hang on. We'll be back with one more guest for today. Tim Eccles back on Energy Matters. Another guest uh, today, high above uh, the expressway here in Atlanta, Atlantic Station, uh, Alden Hathaway Pond Engineering. Alden, as we sit here on this site, former brownfill, former steel mill, how cool is it that some of these very toxic facilities are now some of the coolest in Atlanta. It is very cool that that's happening. What I'm most excited about is turning brownfields into renewable energy production sites because to me that's that's the that's where the we can make energy without impinging the views or impinging on any other things and by the way kill two birds with one stone. Probably not the best phrase to use, but we actually also clean up a site while we're turning it into an energy generation site. Costco Jones owned with me uh, in the first part of this segment, talking about the HERS score uh, for homes, uh, energy efficiency in homes, the difference that it can make. And I think about your home that you did up there in the Sawney territory. As you were building that home, you really thought about all aspects of energy efficiency, didn't you? I did. I love the HERS rating, the home energy rating system number that they give. When you're doing an energy efficient home, you look at everything that's going to be in the home. You can go walk into your Home Depot store, your local home improvement store, and you can see the yellow energy guide. It tells you how much energy that device is, that appliance is going to use, and you can map the whole thing out. When you're doing a solar home, you need to minimize how much energy you're going to use in the home because you don't want to have to invest more in solar than you need. So it's very important to max it all together. The great thing about the HERS score is you can find Find a home that has a low HERS rating. They've done it all for you. 
And then the amount of solar you need to make it a zero energy home isn't as much as you would otherwise think. Recently had Christopher Matos Rogers on a green realtor. It's a two-day certification. Plus, he you know, has solar. He drives electric cars. He understands this. He lives this stuff. But he's telling me not many people even know about this. I think that's right. I know the people that started it up in Loudoun County, Virginia, that, uh, that got the whole HERS program going. But I've told everybody I know, when you go looking for a home, check out what the HERS score is. Try to get it well under, you know, 75 or below. It's supposed to mean the amount of money you're going to pay per month in energy utility costs. That's what the HERS score is. It's like when you buy a car, you get a miles per gallon sticker on the car. It tells you how much gasoline you're going to use. Well, the HERS score tells you how much energy you're going to use. It's the best rating that's out there. Without the HERS score, it's pretty hard to document how much uh, solar you're going to need if you want to go all the way to zero energy. I had Terry, Ted Terry on, Commissioner for DeKalb County, the other day. We were talking about Clarkston, Georgia, and you know he was mayor there. Uh, Friends for Refugees, uh, nonprofits there, I've helped them. Uh, but Ted was telling me about a $2,000 a person program that they were doing where they were doing basically uh, insulation and some other fixes, nothing on the air condition for homes, but they were seeing the energy burden for these folks go down immediately. Uh, so, I mean, would you say that this insulation, I mean, not only is it going to help you on your HERS score, but it's actually going to save you money? Absolutely. And in Georgia, our biggest problem is the ductwork that's in the attic in the uninsulated or unconditioned space. We always say stop the madness, stop putting the ductwork in the unconditioned space. We have more heat gain through the roof in Georgia than most places in the rest of the country because of the intensity of the sun here in the south. So it's important to insulate. I like to insulate above the uh, ductwork uh, and get that temperature in the plenum down. If you go up in your attic and you've got a typical attic, you'll find the temperatures can be 140 to 160 degrees Fahrenheit up in that attic. And all the air conditioning is working is it's trying to cool the attic through the ductwork before it actually gets to your vents. If you can do that, if you can get the ductwork in the insulated area, in the what we call the conditioned space, you can save, you can cut your HVAC bill in half. Wow, just another minute. Uh, I wanted you to mention the solar lights for Africa program and we're talking about helping poor people in the u.s get insulation but in certain villages that you've worked in in africa they didn't even have a light bulb that was working yeah the typical usage of light in africa comes from something called a tadoba it's like a tuna fish can with a little wick on top filled with paraffin and or our kerosene lanterns uh, very smoky and they have because the light is dim they have to work in very close proximity when they're doing their schoolwork especially kids and they're breathing those fumes in regularly we had a doctor tell us that people that live that way had black lung after about uh, 15 years so with solar for africa we put clean light in driven by solar no emissions no smoke absolutely clean and we noticed something really incredible. More light means students could study more, their grades went up. How can folks find out about Solar Light for Africa? We're at www.solarlightforafrica.org. So that's the best way to find out. Solar Light or Lights? Solar Light, uh, singular. Solar Light for Africa.org. Great. Thanks for being on Energy Matters today. Thank you, Tim. It was a pleasure. Hey, folks, thanks for listening. Appreciate you being a part of our show today. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. And remember, energy does matter.
Energy Matters would like to thank GasSouth for its support of the show. GasSouth has a no-deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per-therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. GasSouth, the difference is good. Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. Gerd and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at solarsunworld.com, solarsunworld.com. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your one, two, or five dollar checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you.